Mini episode 1295 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1295. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here, and it is a special treat, as always, to get back on the show. A longtime friend of ours, the editor of ePolitics.com, Colin Delaney, and of course, also a columnist for campaigns and elections, among the many other things he does in the political world. We'll be talking about that as well. We're going to be looking at the uh, lead up here, the stretch run in the 2020 presidential campaign. When last we left off with Colin a couple months back, it was just pre convention time here. And uh, we talked about this wild and wacky, unprecedented presidential campaign up to that point. We're going to take the remaining chapters here. We are recording this pretty close to election eve. So we'll be talking about everything uh, end of August, into September, into October. The many October surprises, all the things that have happened since then. And uh, Colin, I will just say this. We left it off and we said, we know there's going to be a lot of wacky crap the rest of the way. It is 2020 after all. I don't know that we could have forecast the exact nature of anything in the last 90 days plus. Uh, yeah, it would have been tough. Um, you know, it has been the sheer density of things. I mean, there have been weeks where um, you would have, you know, events that in a normal year would have shaped the future trajectory of the race, right? Yeah. You've had like five or six of them in a week. And by Friday, you barely remember what happened on Monday, right? Yeah. But there's, yeah, that's been the process. And, you know, the conventions obviously did what they did. That first debate, we can talk about uh, if you like. Yep. I think in, in some ways that first debate was decisive. Um, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but through it all, there's been this underlying line of Trump's supporters staying exactly where they are, and then the gradual trend being toward Biden through that whole period. No, I agree with uh, with what you're saying there. And uh, I, I think, yeah, I want to get to uh, certainly all of that. It has been very interesting. The first debate, of course, taking place on America's north coast here, right in uh, the greater Cleveland area where <laughs> I am located. And uh, with that may have come perhaps a little bit of a super spreader as a part of this. Uh, extra little bonus with getting a presidential debate here. Uh, so we have all of that to get to. But uh, before we do, there was some stuff you were talking about off air here, and as I say, your your burgeoning resume as we continue to go along, uh, Colin, uh, going far and wide beyond being a regular guest with us and editor of epolitics.com, as great as that is, author uh, of, of several uh, publications here, uh, some work that you're doing during this race as well, which uh, is definitely worth talking about. I'll tell you what, man, I have had uh, a rare opportunity in life, I got to find out whether I knew what I was talking about. Okay. 
you know, I've been in politics, I've been in digital politics for a long time, but almost always on the advocacy side. And then I've written about the political side for years. But this year, for the last couple of months, I've been, you know, over my head in um, the mechanics of digital campaigning these days, specifically using advertising. So I've been working on a bunch of different projects, but um, yeah, two of them have involved uh, videos made by actors, musicians who grew up in uh, uh, particular state legislative districts, and they're making videos aimed at their hometowns, right? Mm -hmm. And we're we're using digital advertising to put them in front of the voters in those hometowns. Okay. And these are you know these are completely above board that we're vendors for two you know two uh, two state parties, right? We're on FEC forum. Right. But uh, but it's let me really see. Um, the mechanics of how digital campaigning is done, at least on, you know, the communications and, and uh, advertising side. And, uh, yeah, you know, I have a, a few edits I'll make to the book, but um, I, I think I think I got through it okay. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> I've still got some work to do. But there was a huge day on Monday. Uh, Facebook had put in place a ban on new political ads after – Midnight Pacific time Monday, right? So everybody was scrambling to get them in at the last minute. Okay. And so, like, for my generation of digital campaigners, you know, <laughs> uh, that will be a defining moment for us. Where were you in the great Facebook rush of 2020? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's been a blast. And uh, it's absolutely fascinating to get to work with uh, a lot of really talented political professionals. It's given me... Uh, a different glimpse than I had before into the the profession of doing political campaigning. Yeah. So anyway, um, I'll tell you, if the Democrats don't win back, you know, uh, a lot of these state districts, it won't be for lack of trying, you know, um, under, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Uh, one of the things that I've fault Obama for is um, not really paying very much attention at all to what was going on in the states, right? Right. And Democrats lost hundreds of state legislative seats, you know, Republicans controlled redistricting in 2010, all that. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of, of uh, uh, groups on the Democratic side, you know, some independent and others, you know, party affiliated, have been working really hard to try to win back a lot of these districts. And we'll, we'll see if it works, you know? It, uh, you know, you, we've talked about redistricting before, um, uh, you know, in states where the Republicans have full control, um, they have shown no signs that shame is going to, you know, keep them within the traditional bounds of how bad you screw over the other side, right? And the Roberts Court has said that the federal courts won't step in on redistricting. So for the Democrats, it's like uh, if you don't grab a handful of state, state legislative bodies, you risk being frozen out of state politics, as Democrats are in uh, Wisconsin, where they won just a hair under 50% of the votes to the state legislature, but the Republicans have two-thirds of the seats, right? That's right. being frozen out, yeah, unfairly. So, uh, yeah, so um, I, I, as, as a Democrat I, and someone who, you know, has worked a lot at the state level, I hope that this works out. But uh, uh, at least for this cycle, the Democrats have tried. Well, as a uh, as a paleocon, as I've often said, I expect my public policy ideas to suffer in the mix. But uh, you know, there's always winners and losers <laughs> in life. You never know. Well, you never know. 
Hey, man, you never for, know what you might find out. I'm yeah. philosophical, Colin. For every uh, winner, there's a loser, and vice versa. I will say this: I, uh, I I'm so. My friend, well, I'm so. Politics is the art of the possible. Uh, exactly. It yes. Zero, it does not have to be a zero-sum game. It, it just usually is, though. But, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I'll say this. I'm so glad you brought this up. I like to think that's the kind of thing that separates this show from some other programming out there because nobody's talking about redistricting, and it's a very under, important underlying aspect of this election all throughout the 2020s. This is going to determine how state legislature lines are drawn, the federal legislative lines, etc. It's of paramount importance, and I think you're right. Democrats are eating the Republicans' lunch here, reversing the gains the Republicans have made over the last 20 to 30 years, and I think we're going to see that play out. And as such, I fully expect that those who have been defending gerrymandering will decry it, and those who have been decrying gerrymandering will defend it. So that's how these things uh, go. No, actually, actually... Um I think there is a very strong sentiment. Now, what individual state legislatures do is a different question, right? Right. But uh, within, you know, sort of the public discussion around the issue, there's this really strong sense that if Democrats act as crassly as Republicans do, they lose any ability to ever get out of this trap, right? Right. Because ultimately what you want is for redistricting to go to independent commissions. Sure. You know, it's just, it's, it's just, um, uh, frankly, I think we may have talked about this, uh, another episode, but, um, it's a, it, it actually is a technological question. When I worked a redistricting session in the Texas legislature in 93, it took a couple of days to model out, uh, set, sets of districts. We would wait to get these big paper maps that we'd unroll on the desk to see what the lines would be. And nowadays, they can do that in milliseconds, right? right? So they can slice and dice these districts. Um, with a, well, I'll give you an example. I was doing ad targeting for um, uh, some some district you know, district level targeting stuff in Ohio, and it was so gerrymandered that the geograph. I was looking at the files that the, the Facebook was using to target these things. And um, it, the shapes were ridiculously complicated. Uh, so uh, you know, you can you can tell the gerrymandering just by looking at how hard it is to target people there, right? Oh, yeah. Because they're not in they're not in compact groups, right? These different tentacles, you know, pointing out in all different directions. Oh yeah. So uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it is partly a technological problem. So like the ability to make mischief, right? In the old days, was limited by the technology you had to draw maps, right? right? Um, and nowadays, the, the you know basically the uh, the you know the potential for mischief is uh, it's, it's become unlimited. Yeah, so I think it's time that that you have to take the mischief out of the process. It, it re- yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. And uh, again, I, I for many years uh, in Ohio, uh, my congresswoman was uh, Marcy Captor of the Toledo area, and as of course I mentioned, I live in the Greater Cleveland area. And I, I always used to, I always used to joke about this that they drew the line so it was basically five yards from the shore, and when we had high tide, we would be separated by Lake Erie. I mean, <laughs> Colin, that's how ridiculous well, it was. Well, you know, you saw some of those districts in uh, 
that were trying to connect black neighborhoods in Durham and Greensboro, <laughs> where the, the districts basically just followed the interstate. You know, right. it was like the interstate and the median. Yeah. Right. Well, they, they did it at Northeastern Ohio. The, uh, the, the, the woman, Marsha Fudge, she represents the east side. It goes down to Akron, and it's probably just the width of I-77 going down to Akron. Yeah, so. that's just not. That's, 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 that's just not cool. Yeah, and again, who knows, you know, what, because, you know, the main, one thing, you know, the dirty, dirty little secret of redistricting is one reason it is an inherently political process is that um, uh, where you draw the lines determines who stays in their seat, right? Yep. If, the lines have to change, and you know it's uh, like <laughs> after that redistricting session, the Democrats kind of got screwed, of course, yeah. back in '93. Um, uh, uh, public conservatives over Texas, but um, uh, basically, you would you know you'd have two Democratic Congress members from the same district. I think they may have done something similar. The Maryland's uh, the Maryland Democrats said were really bad too. Right. And like, this is something we got to not do again, right? I think they put two Republican Congress, you know, incumbents into the same district. Yeah. Uh, after the 2010 cycle. And yeah, and that's, you know, uh, I mean, of course, you know, eventually, you know, population is going to shift and all that. But this is the kind of thing where we're all a lot better off if we just give it over some judges. I would agree with that. And uh, again, in, in looking at this here, uh, I'm, I'm struggling to find a segue from that to the presidential talk, but I think I got one here. <laughs> Marsha Fudge, if I if I remember correctly, and I think I do, Marsha Fudge's district includes the Cleveland Clinic, which was the site of the first presidential <laughs> debate. Colin, I I could pull these out of my ass all day. I'm just that damn wow, good at sideways. Wow, that's, that's yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. I'd love and, to see your jump shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, that uh that event there, uh it, it's it's really interesting because Forty years ago, of course, uh, we had the ver- one of the most famous presidential moments, uh, debate moments in history with Reagan and Carter, and Reagan trotting out, uh, are you better off now than you were four years ago, which was basically the final nail in Carter's coffin. And uh, I was almost expecting Joe Biden to go with that, uh, but we live in such a bifurcated economy right now, there are a lot of people actually uh, that the pandemic is not hitting. So I guess his camp probably figured that that was maybe a little bit risky. But nevertheless, it was a thing where it's a debate that we will never forget because it was basically he dictated the entire style and terms of it by Trump. And, of course, the fact that he didn't do that in the second debate. Uh, of course, there, that was supposed to be the third one, but we missed the second one because of his coronavirus. We'll get to that subsequently. But, uh, again, the, the biggest debacle as far as, I would say, an international embarrassment as far as debates go in history. And, and by the way, too, I mean, there is a whole thing before uh, we, get, we get completely one-sided on this whole thing here of, you know, Biden calling him a clown back and some stuff like that. So, I mean, it's, it's not like there wasn't, yeah, I don't think I'm engaging in both-siderism uh, to, to point that out, but it was dictated by Trump. I freely admit that as a Joe Jorgensen voter, uh, now officially a Joe Jorgensen <laughs> voter, having submitted my ballot. But, uh, I mean, Colin, that was, we, we were expecting something weird and wild. I don't know that anybody quite anticipated anything like that. It was unprecedented. Well, you know, to me, uh, uh, you know, obviously, yes, it was, it was an, a, 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 frankly, an insane performance, right? Yeah. But um, to me, it illustrated a couple of different things. You know, besides all the obvious points, yeah. Um, 
one, what a bubble Trump lives in, right? Yeah. You know, he speaks in weird Fox News code, right? right? Oh, in the last debate, it was AOC plus three, right? Right. The middle America does not know what you mean by that. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, but also just the thought that you're surrounded by people who would let you think that this is what you do when you get up on stage like that, right? That, that this is the thing that will appeal to people who don't, who are on the fence. You know right, what I mean? Right. Um, uh, uh, and then, you know, and I heard a couple of people on the media say this, or, you know, uh, uh, read it the next day. Um, it was Trump unfiltered. And in some ways, you know, when the media, when, especially when the, you know, when video covers Trump, yeah. right? They're, they're going to cut it down, right? Right. So you'll see the most, you'll see the most outrageous thing. But you won't see the ten minutes of sheer madness that surrounded it, you know. Right. And so America got to see Trump unfiltered. And oh, another great line I saw the next day was, you know, or heard, heard that night was, uh, every uh, woman in America has an ex-husband or an ex-boyfriend like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, like you know, when women. Uh, you know, when, you know, who gave you a chance last time, largely white women, uh, both college educated and non, right? Yeah. Um, uh, this is not a performance that's gonna, this is, you know, my thought the next day was, uh, how could anybody want four more years of that, right? It's just like, you want to go back to a very peaceful time. And I remember saying at the very beginning, back in 2007, that I thought Biden, people would go to Biden after the Trump time, just because Trump has so unsettled everyone. Uh, but yeah, um, and then so, followed so soon, of course, by the uh, coronavirus, you know, striking Trump himself. Yes. And I think the except for Trump loyalists, you know, the collective American response was, yeah, what do you think was going to happen? <laughs> well, I mean, of all the things... Yeah, we've seen so many things turned on their head in this election cycle, and, and one of them is, and you go back throughout the history of presidential ailments and everything like that, this is the first time that the president was an inpatient uh, patient at a hospital in 33 years since, uh, or, or uh, th I'm sorry, 39 years since Reagan had been shot. And normally, there's a sympathy bump. Uh, it, if anything, yeah. it went the other way. I mean, for Trump yeah. Yeah. to, that is, that's almost unprecedented, that the president is gravely ill, and I believe he was for a period of time there. Uh, and uh, again, and people were just, uh, look, that first weekend, I don't know that anybody was, you know, pointing and laughing until the Secret Service drive around, at which point that sort of took oh. the lid off of it. And, and again, it is something where unless you are, and look, and I still have friends who are, uh, again, dead-enders on this thing here, okay? Unless you're one of the dead-enders, you, you have to regard yeah. that as a revolting kind of a thing. Because here's the thing, Colin, and I, I know this is the kind of thing that pisses off my friends and everything else like that, is that I don't engage in hypocrisy. And I will say this, 
that one of the things that back back when conservatives uh, or alleged conservatives anyways like to hold up George W. Bush as an example, which I never really got at the time, but anyways, it was his reverence to the Secret Service as opposed to, oh, Hillary threw a lamp at the Secret Service, but George W. Bush treated him like gold. Used to be Republicans cared about respecting the Secret Service, and now... Uh, again, it just it, it's like everything else in this election cycle where it's F you for right. talking about it. Whether it's the coronavirus or oh. this or that or whatever, yeah. everything is so you know bifurcated as far as what people believe. It's not even pushing back on it being true. It's F you for talking about it. Oh, God, I just saw today that Ben Carson was doing a campaign event. Mike Pompeo's been doing campaign events. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, we're paying for their protection. We're paying for all of this. Uh, you know, taxpayers have paid over $8 million, I think was the post estimate the other day, yeah. into Trump properties. Um, uh, <laughs> it, it just boggles my mind that such petty grifters, you know, got in charge here. Yeah. Um, but yes, you know, you have to be noble to feel noblesse oblige, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know, somebody like Bush, Somebody like Obama, they were very socially aware and gracious people, you know. Um, uh, 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 yeah, I heard catty things about the Obamas from um, uh, a, a, a co-worker whose husband was in the Secret Service. You know, staff's always going to, you know, complain. So right. You always got to keep that, yeah, grain of salt on that one. Right. But, uh, but you know, Trump is, has no shred of nobility. You know what I mean? Right. He, he is nothing but petty. And so the only relationships that exist for him are, you know, you're either, you know, you're, you're subordinate to him, basically. And he has to demonstrate that at every opportunity. It is all power for him. Sure. You know, and he is, he's continued to have, you know, super spreader events across the country, things where I just wince as I see them out there. Uh, I even had one of my college friends went to one of the ones downstate, and I was very concerned for him, and I don't know that he's out of the woods yet, because it was still a couple days ago that he went to it, but it's it's just one of these things where, you know, it's been Mm -hmm. such a blur, as we said this fall here. Uh, The VP debate, where not much happened, except uh, if you believe the memes on Twitter, I guess Jimmy Superfly Snuckle landed on Mike Pence's head at one point. So, I did see that. I can believe that And again, this thing about yeah, him and other women. Nobody ever, you know, ever told him. Apparently, that's no way to keep your pimp st- pimp hand strong. Mike Pence is not being alone with other women. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, it just uh, it revealed a very medieval mindset. You it, know, uh, you're like grow up, dude. 
Well, he's one of these guys that calls his wife mommy, I think. So, you know, it is what it uh, I is. I believe he calls her mother. Or mother. mother. Yeah, yeah. That's oh, not... Although, I, I will say, you know, among, you know, because I'm from the South, um, among the older, more country folks yeah. that I knew, that was not that uncommon. Okay. Well, I yeah, mean. Yeah, it's more of an old country thing, I think. I'm a suburban guy from the north. I find it weird, but it's you know to each, to each his own. You know to each his own. I guess I don't know. It, yeah, like, yeah, no, I hear you. I'm not. I, I have. I'm not a big. I'm not a big Pence guy because uh, I I think he's not shown much of a backbone. And I'm talking prior to the Trump administration. I have issues with him yeah. prior to the Trump administration. But anyways, the other thing here during the, uh, the, the the campaign that we did not expect, and this is the one thing where I think there are bright, clean lines as far as something you didn't like and something I really liked, the good old notorious ACB on the Supreme Court here, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, rest wow. in peace, but uh, we got a good justice on there. In my estimation, one of three. I, I, I'm one of these guys who, again, it wasn't enough to get me to vote for Trump, but the things you don't like about what's happened in the judiciary the last four years, I do. There is an originalist yeah. now on the Supreme Court. Yeah. It was hardball to get it through. And by the way, I said in 2016, Marla, it, it, this would have been the true test of how good Mitch McConnell is. I wanted him to have a vote, and I wanted him to be voted down. But that would have taken oh. discipline for whatever, because I knew. I knew, I knew, I knew. This oh. is going to come back to bite you in the ass. It hasn't yet. They got her through. But the hypocrisy may yet play out in terms of electoral consequences. The senators that voted for her in a couple cases, McSally and Gardner, whatever, they're dead and people walking anyways, I guess, so it almost doesn't matter. But, you know, yeah, that's like, like I said, that's something where even if you're somebody on the right who's not a big fan of Trump's, you were happy about the outcome. I'm not happy to see somebody die, but hey, I like the court better now than I did 60 days ago, and I'm sure that's not the case with you. And they have sown the winds, and thus they shall reap the whirlwinds. <laughs> now, it's, um, it takes us again uh, out of the norms of American politics in a fundamental way. Um, the Republicans have no moral standing anymore uh, uh, to, to oppose any, you know, just judicial-related matter. We need to find it. It's like redistricting. We need to find a way to get the politics out of it. Was basically going back to, I believe it was Abe Fortas, uh, 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 who got, you know, forks before fork right. back in like 68. Um, uh, this has become a politicized process. Right. And what, what Mitch McConnell did, certainly within his power to do, I just think that they are um, digging their own uh, political grave. And I don't mean it's necessarily electoral uh, in the short run. The, you know, the polarization baked into the system demographically and electoral college, you know, basically the way the states are made up. Right. Um, the Senate, the Senate is conservative and white. But, you, you know, a minority of the country, conservative white people, cannot impose their will on a majority of the country for very long without people uh, changing the system. Right. Well, you know, yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Why? Why is Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court? Because California has two senators. Because I have none. Right. Right. That's the only reason Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, I, I think fifteen percent of Americans voted for the senators who are, you know, who, who determined for that. Uh, Mitch McConnell, all the way out the door, is trying to entrench minority rule. That's well, what he's trying to do. They're trying to get a court in there that will allow them to restrict the 
disenfranchise, make it harder for people to vote, allow redistricting, allow unlimited corporate money, and, and allow a, a, a minority of the country to govern this country, and it simply won't last. Well, I tell you now, what, I don't, I don't, I don't look. You know, uh, you may be sanguine now, but uh, I tell you what, man, this this is an action that will have consequences that will reverberate for a long time. Well, you know, much like when uh, Harry Reid got rid of the judicial filibuster in 2013, that uh, started this down the road ultimately. No, 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 no. That's that's a load. That really is just a complete load. Well, uh, that that first time was, judicial filibusters were ever. That's fine. And listen, this would make a this will make a good standalone segment maybe in 2021. <laughs> Let's revisit because I'm going to throw this out there and I'll give you some time to okay. seethe over this until we record on this subsequently. I agree with Mike <laughs> Lee. We're not a democracy. We're a constitutional Republican. We're better off for it. I agree with Mike Lee. I think democracy well, is just another word for mob rule and for the ability to take away the rights of the minority. Uh, I'm glad we're a constitutional republic. I do see that being stripped uh, in the next couple of years, and uh, I don't regard that no. uh, as a great thing. But, no. Uh, you know, no. Uh, we're not going to strip away being a constitutional republic. We will make, you know, uh, uh, people on my side will do our best to make it a more representative. But listen, <laughs> white people who live in Iowa don't get to determine policy for California forever. <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, Colin, you uh, got you and, guys and are the I ones. I am a Democrat. You, I, you know, if everyone was uh, legally required to vote, I would be extremely happy. But, but Colin, people like me believe in federalism. I don't believe people from California should be telling me how to live. And yet, when you guys wanted to nationalize everything, these are the consequences of it. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. Uh, uh, Democrats didn't nationalize everything. And with, with the New national, Deal. That's a nice tease for a segment subsequently here. Uh, we'll do that later. We'll, 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 put a, we'll put a pin in that one. Our next one will be uh, just going through predictions here. I have mine, and we'll see if you agree or disagree. But for right now, this has been mini-episode 1295. A pleasure, Colin Delaney. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for checking this one out.